0: Here's where we're going to try to go this morning. We're going to look at some things that, quite frankly, maybe we haven't seen before. We're going to redeem some things along the way. And then once we do that, we're going to be able to look at the incarnation through the eyes of the Magi. So, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for times like this where heaven and earth overlap. Your spirit is here in all of us it indwells all of us. You're here. Jesus is here. And we thank you for the opportunity to learn and to have more uh, revelation from your holy Spirit that when we see things that you invite us to see and we hear things you invite us to hear as we journey forward from this point on we we don't see life or the text of the Bible the same way again without the information that you've revealed to us. May everything this morning that is said connect with the work you're already doing in the lives of of others and those who are either online or here in the room, and the work that you're doing through your Holy Spirit in their lives. May we be your church on your mission for the sake of your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but uh, you may have left, and don't raise your hand. Someone may have left last week and said, I wonder why John omitted something from the sermon. If you think about it, we're people of the Bible... We know the biblical story, but how well do we actually know it? What did John omit from the story last week? And the short answer is nothing. He didn't omit anything. If we think that the star was seen by the shepherds, we've fabricated that somehow. Not maybe intentionally, but it's not in Luke. And we're going to look at that here in a second. There's also a comment that that John made, I think quoting William, that was really good, that Um, at Christmas time each year we contemplate the nativity scene I'm paraphrasing what he said and then often we put the story away until next December. Well if we have the story somewhat blurred or sort of confused and we put it away for a year and then we pull it out next year and retell it, we'll probably retell the story the same way we've always told it right? Very similarly to the same type of uh, Christmas decorations you pull out every year and put on your tree or whatever your traditions are well (coughs) That may be because we look at the nativity scene as a movie poster, right? If you go near your movie theater, wherever you, in your mind right now, have been going for movies, or hopefully you're going to shortly get to go back to movies, um, you know there's these, these posters on the side of the building, right, that tell you what movies are playing. And it might be something like this. And here's the question. What scene in that movie is that poster? And the answer is, it's not those are the characters that make up the story that's in that movie and that particular scene of all that stuff going on uh, that is pictured there never actually happens the way it's depicted on that poster and even if you look on the far right there's a star in that poster that's a character but it's a star of death not a star of life so these are all characters in the story and they play their own role in their own scene and we kind of know that when we see the movie poster, right? Otherwise, we just walk by a movie poster and go, well, don't need to see the movie now. I've looked at the poster. I know everything that goes on, which is not the case. So the, the question then is, why is this important? Well, it's sort of important because if we don't do this well, if we don't stop and think about what we're actually telling people, then people who go and read the Bible might come back to us and say, you're people of the book. You know the Bible so well, and what you told me, I don't, I don't quite follow And it could lead to some dangerous movie poster theology. And this is from our brother and my friend, Jim Shannon. You can actually end up with something that's so totally wrong that there's four different movies represented in this one picture. And you can offend everybody all at the same time. Whoever's a fan of any one of those individual four movies is now upset because of the way that's done, right? And it seems very funny, but this is not a funny matter. This is something we actually need to get right. So when we think about that, is there anything wrong with this? No. There's nothing wrong with the nativity scenes. We're going to see them this time of year driving around, see them in church, uh, church front lawn, see them at Opryland. Maybe you've got one at your house. I have one in my office. There's nothing wrong with the nativity scene, but we've got to keep it in perspective of what it actually is. It's all the characters that are in the story. It's not the actual story scene itself. If you look through the back window there, there's a star even in this one that's also a character. But the star didn't come to the shepherds. If we look at John's text last week, it tells us this. The sign to the shepherds in Luke 2, 12 was that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes or in cloths, strips of linen, lying in a manger. It didn't say that they would see a star. We've kind of cobbled that together a little bit. In our text today that Brian Holloway read for us, we just didn't get to hear, um, Matthew chapter 2 goes through the sign for the Magi. And and the text is very packed with information. This is why we've kind of got to do it this way so that when we get to the end, we can look back through their eyes and actually understand how they saw the incarnation. After Jesus was born, now that doesn't say exactly how long, but clearly he's been born. After he was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they've gone to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. They've gone to talk to King Herod, and Jesus has already been born. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, just stop right there for a second. Why? If he hears this, what is he disturbed exactly about? And so we're going to unpack that here in a second too. When he had called together all, he being, being Herod, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Interesting. So the term Messiah comes in that he kind of knows what he should know, but he doesn't know. So he asked the Sanhedrin, he asked the, the religious chiefs, priests and leaders of the Jewish group of people, the Israelites, the people of God. He says, hey, by the way, where was the Messiah supposed to be born? And then they tell him, that answer here in a second. So who are these guys? Who are these guys that walk into a king, say something, and put the king on notice and all of Jerusalem on notice? I I have a hunch that, like me, many of us have probably read that a little too quickly, and we don't really stop and ponder what that means. Can you imagine today if somebody ran into anywhere, but let's just go there, let's just say that they ran into uh, you know, D.C. and went into the White House or wherever, and they said, hey, by the way, we've seen some stuff in the stars, and we think you need to make a decision that's very important for this, for this country. I, whew, okay, yep, yeah, there's the exit, and uh, please don't come back, and by the way, you're on the do not visit list again. You know, nobody's going to give them a second, second thought, right? They're just probably crazy. But that doesn't happen here. These guys are extremely respected for some reason, and the information they share puts everybody on notice. So as we think about this term magi, the Greek term is transliterated into English, and that's where we get the word magi. And it's okay if you want to call them wise men, even though magi has a little bit more weight to it than just some guys who are smart. It's an official title identifying an esteemed Persian class of experts and priests who were astronomers and astrologers. We'll expand on that here in a moment a little bit more so you understand what were they priests of. This Persian group dates back to the 6th century B.C., which is also going to be important for biblical information. And their functions are ritual, and they are also credited with the skill of interpreting dreams. Now, we have to stop again and kind of keep track of what we know and what what would sound like we're going in kind of an unhealthy direction. Matthew is not endorsing the principles of astrology. He's not saying that that is what everybody ought to seek to do. What he is saying is that he's showing that the magi themselves were being motivated by symbolic principles which were taken seriously by people in the world at that time. So in other words, what they were doing, people put a lot of confidence in, a lot of, a lot of uh, clout into, a lot of trust. And that's important because when you think about the king of the world being born, the king of the cosmos, you've got multiple streams of where all these different people are coming from. So then why does Matthew include the Magi? Well, he secures professional astronomers as well as uh, astrologers testimony as top scientific authority of the day, authenticating the royal birth of Jesus. Another way we might say that today is someone very unexpectedly ends up pointing to Jesus that didn't grow up in the church, didn't come through an orthodox way, and might be coming to information or faith in Christ. Jesus in a way that we don't even see on our on our radar. We don't even we don't even anticipate that anybody would get there from that direction. So Matthew's just showing that this that this has occurred with the scientific community and there's plenty of examples if we had time we could go into which are fascinating. One thing you might look up sometime is a thing called the God particle where they have determined that if they can just identify this particle, then they know exactly how everything happened in their theory of from this moment forward is when everything happened we call that particle God speaking let there be but what would happen if science actually finds out some way to prove that and then they would be kind of in a similar boat so it's fascinating to think about the ways science and other things that are God created can still lead people to God even if they're not aware at the time that that's what's happening so back to who these guys were to have an audience with Herod and the Sanhedrin to hear the interpretation of these Magi must show that they were held in high esteem by the people of Jerusalem. But what did the Magi not know? Now in the previous verse where we left off in this, in this passage, maybe you're already ahead of me, what they didn't know is where, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Because they're not in the know. Everything that's led them to this point to go have a meeting with Herod has led them there because of what they do, but they're missing a key piece of information. So Herod turns to the Sanhedrin, turns to the religious leaders and says, hey, where was the Messiah supposed to be born? And they answer, in verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And that's a direct quote from Micah 5, verses 2 and 4. So here comes the answer from the people that you would This totally makes sense right now, right? That You've got people who are unorthodox, not grown up in the church, not not religious at all, maybe not even recognizing Yahweh as God, and then you have the people who all of that is true for them give them the answer they're looking for. And then something strange happens. And this is, again, where we have to read the text very closely. In the next verse, we see Herod take a playbook from a previous king. And that's where you have to do a little research to, to see this. Herod's next move is Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, where Nebuchadnezzar has had this dream and he calls together here in verse 2, it says, So the king, Nebuchadnezzar, summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed, and then they come and stand before him. Hmm. So Herod must have had some recollection of this kind of stuff because look at verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem because the religious leaders had told him, you know, told him what the answer was. He then told the, the Magi what the answer is. He sends them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too or as well. And Then look what happens. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I think of my college astronomy professor, Mr. William Chamberlain. If, if Mr. Chamberlain is overjoyed, he's not just going, hey look, there's a star, that's something that's unique, that's something different. He's really excited about it. These guys, and the reason I have these words in yellow, these guys seem to have seen this star rise, which is why they went to Herod, traveled to Jerusalem on their own time, their own money, had the meeting. And now, after they've left the meeting with Herod, they now see it again. Now, you could say, well, yes, Dan, because it's a different day, it's a different night. It gets light, it gets dark. It was there the whole time. It was just during the day they couldn't see it. Maybe, but the, but the point is, they saw it at different times, not, not consistently. And then, what they see is they see it stop over the place where the child was and then they're overjoyed now are they overjoyed because they know the child not not yet probably not they're overjoyed because of what's going on in the heavens and with the stars and what they have been tracking and pursuing to this point so here's another thing we can redeem we've redeemed hopefully in your mind the nativity it's okay it's a movie poster it's more than what it appears to be and we can explain to people why the nativity scene is something that at this time of year does remind us of all the different characters in the story. Here's another one, a date. If you think back a few weeks ago, Les said something about there was a 1 in 365 chance that Jesus' birthday was December 25th, just like there was the same odds that his birthday is February 13th. Well, yes, but if if we were in the know of these guys, we would be seeing something possibly that can lead us to an interesting conclusion. On coming to the house, all right, that's key, they're going, they've gone to Bethlehem, they're not going to the stable, they're not going to what Jan talked to us about during communion about a, a, uh, a manger that's made out of stone, they've gone to a house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And the child there is like toddler, that's what we would probably say today. Some, some child that's beyond being an infant, but not yet, you know, uh, anywhere near, Adolescent age or anything like that, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Key. Something has changed them to worship this child that they're that they're seeing. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. Again, pause. Here's what's fascinating, and you'll have to get a little bit of this on the back end here in a minute, and you can go and do some research on your own uh, if you if you are like me and curious. So. The text has told us several things. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. Clearly, he is not an infant anymore. He is at a different location. He's at a house, not at the stable. So time has gone by, but yet the star that they're following has stopped over the house where, where uh, they're to go, right? Now, we're not going to get into argument about whether that was miraculous or not. I think it was. But what we can look at is if we look at the star data that we can now look at with all kinds of interesting technology, we can find that when that star stopped, like the text told us it did, it most likely was December 25th. So that would explain a lot, because that would explain how we now have this time of year where we talk about Jesus, and we talk about gift giving, and we talk about December 25th, because it has come down through the generations and all over the world as being related to this time of year, and it is, but it's related to this time of the year for the star, not for his birth. His birth was before the star happened, but the star, the heavens will show us, and I'll tell you here in a few minutes how you can look into it if you want yourself. So now we've got, we've got all kinds of neat things going on, right? We've, we've kind of seen what they saw, and in a minute, it'll all come together here as we conclude. So back to who these guys were. Matthew's account fits well with other journeys of Magi priests presenting kings or emperors with gifts. This isn't the first time that these type of people have gone to births for rulers, for kings. As a matter of fact, Nero is one example that is recorded by Josephus, and he also has Magi come and visit him. And the gifts are also well known, not from the ancient Near East and not from necessarily uh, Roman civilizations but from the Bible and remember the Bible at this time is the Old Testament so anything that anybody knows from Scripture they know from the Old Testament so look at Isaiah 60 verse 6 the future glory of Israel a multitude of camels shall cover you the young camels of Midian and ephah all those from Sheba will come they will bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news the praises of the Lord and then Psalm seventy-two, ten through 11, <clears throat> the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands will offer gifts. The kings of Sheba and Seba will bring tribute. All kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. The Magi were one of six tribes of the Medes, a priestly caste similar to the Levites among the Israelites. So here, here's what's fascinating. When, what were they priests of? I asked a few few minutes ago. and said we'd get back to it. They, they lean kind of towards monotheism. They are pantheists in a way. They believe in what is seen in the created. They, they believe in water and fire and air and the stars and all these things that we know who created them. But they're not quite sure who created them. So they kind of believe in those things instead of Yahweh who made those things. But fascinatingly in my research that I did, they, they refused to put an image of, of their belief system. So the Jews actually respected them for the fact that they had no idols. They didn't have anybody who they said was the God. They were looking at these elements instead. And that was something that was going on in the Gentile world because the Magi are Gentiles. And so now we come to something else we're going to redeem, a number. Were there three of them? Well, there were but there was actually more than three. Most accounts say at minimum there were 12, and there might have even been more than 12. So how do we end up with a song like We Three Kings? Well, because there were three gifts, and so people often think that there had to be three people, a one-to-one correlation between a person and a gift. But that's not the case, because the Old Testament doesn't tell you there were only three people who presented those gifts to the other kings. So the gifts and the number of individuals are disconnected and back to the text in verse 12 and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route so now this is fascinating now they're seeing something happen that normally they're telling other people about remember that line that they could interpret dreams but now they're having a dream and if we think about what the Bible shows us and all of what has been presented to this point so far about four hundred and ninety years previous in the sixth century Daniel had a well-known prophecy that after the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the Babylonians had destroyed it that the birth of the Messiah would happen and there was a well-known um, fact that this was, pro- was going to happen in the first century so the Jews and the Gentiles were well well aware of Daniel's prophecy now here's what is also interesting and this is where you can do some research on your own if you want Starry Night Pro is a software package that you can put in a date and time and it'll roll the sky back and show you what the stars look like you can look at the constellations you can see what's going on with where the positions of the planets are and fascinatingly enough nothing really happens in the night sky from BC four to BC three and likewise nothing really happens from BC two to BC one but in BC three to BC two it just is unbelievable how many things are going on in, in the sky And one of those things is this star that we're talking about. So in in my estimation and in some others, Jesus is a toddler in a house with Mary, and he's about one year and probably three months old at this point. And what the Starry Night Pro software will show you and what we're going to look at through the eyes of the magi is what they saw, what they interpreted was going on and all that stuff that was going on in the sky they saw what they would have known as the king star, which could also be a planet, but it was a king star to them, and the virgin, the constellation uh, Virgo, and the messenger, Mercury, giving the message of what the king and the virgin had gotten together and converged. So we can see that now and say, oh, that makes total sense. But imagine seeing that in, you know, B.C. two. That's... That's unbelievable, that's what they're overjoyed about. That what they saw, they're now witnessing in this house actually has, has occurred. The first chapter of Genesis says that stellar bodies were designed to provide signs to those on earth. So this is not something that's really way out in the weeds for people who are in the time of the Magi talking. The Magi saw a star or a planet, they saw it rise above the eastern horizon in a significant relationship to other stellar bodies as we've just gone through, and it's completely in accord with a statement in Genesis 1.14. The Jewish authorities, therefore, and King Herod himself, would not have found the Magi at odds with the Bible or even anti-biblical. They would have accepted that information. So then what happens? There's another playbook. What's the next move? Well, Herod returns to history and takes another past king's playbook. When the Magi don't come back to him, he does something that happened just 60 years earlier in 63 BC when astrological, uh, astrological forecasts had identified a king of the Romans was going to be born this play of ki- killing baby boys was done then so this is not something that's also totally new and in that very year Augustus Caesar was born didn't get the research on how he evaded that um, but fascinating that this happens. And again, Josephus records all this. The Magi, though, look at how they, their next move. They don't need to have anybody come interpret what's going on. They've had this dream, don't go back to Herod, they just don't go back. And then they saw, they believed, they worshiped, and they obeyed even though they were Gentiles. Fascinating. So, the Magi see and comprehend. Herod neither sees nor comprehends. Matthew sets the stage for a paradigm which will reappear throughout his book. Jesus and his true followers will see and comprehend. The Pharisees and other opponents of Jesus in the gospel will see, but they will not comprehend. Another way of saying it is the first human reactions to the birth of Jesus, God himself, the Messiah, was last week joy with the shepherds and this week And worship with the shepherds, too. But this week, worship with the magi. And yet, with Herod, it was fear and deception. Playing a a past move from the world, just like previous kings had done. So, in the final couple minutes here, so what happened? You've got these guys who don't know Yahweh. They do their trade, hobby, whatever you want to call it. They probably go out every single morning and watch just before dawn and take inventory of the sky and they see this star rise and they see the relations with the other stellar bodies that we've talked about and they decide with their knowledge that that's something that they need to take on personal expense for and travel to go ask where this king is being born then they then they probably find out that Jesus is born miraculously from a virgin and it clicks and makes sense like well what we have seen with everything that we track in the stars is going on And then, sort of like the sailors in Jonah, they go from not believing, as far as we know, to not only being converts, but to worshiping Jesus. And who knows, as they go on their way, after they leave Bethlehem and go, uh, go a different way back, because they've responded to the dream, right? Who knows who they talk to, and how they explain all this stuff to them, and where the gospel goes that way through these guys. It'll be fascinating for us to find out at some point. So, what is our reaction to all this? Do we put Christmas away until next year? Because if we do, we run the risk of having the movie poster problem and just pulling it back out again and telling the story the same way we've always told it. Or do we read closer to the text? Do we look at the things that the Spirit's revealing to us? We look at what history's revealing to us? And maybe even a more important question is if we have that kind of mindset with Christmas, do we do that right now too? Do we put Christ away at the end of the day? and don't get him back out again until next Sunday. So I think the Magi can teach us something that we can take away. Let's be the reason someone sees and believes in Jesus, even if that person's already a believer. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or non-Christian. Let's be the reason that they see Jesus and believe in Jesus because of how we act and what we say and what we do. And to whom will you be a sign pointing to Jesus this week? Because... That question comes from this. The question is, who will you be assigned to? The sign to the shepherd was that they would find a baby in a manger. The sign to the wise men, or the magi, was the star. We are now the signs for all the people in the world who don't know Jesus. So who are we going to be assigned to this week? And if you need help with that in any way, please come.